Hi, I'm Linda. And I'm Craig. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. It's episode 200 this week, and we're talking about travel photography with Ralph Velasco. Episode 200! Episode 200! It's episode 200! dun 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 Well, I was going to pay for a special effects budget, but... <laughs> <laughs> that... a special effects budget when you've got me? <laughs> that was just awesome. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe we've done this 199 times before. It's quite a lot, isn't it? Back from the old... Uh embedded microphone in the laptop with the clicking hard drive and the whirring fans so people could barely hear what we were saying. Wow. It was uh, it was a long time ago that we did the first show in St. Albans. Yeah, that is a really long time ago. And all of those, yeah, all of those recordings where we had to open the computer, record quickly, wait before this, the hard drive started spinning and, you know, try and get the recording done as much as quickly as possible, most of the time we couldn't. Yeah, because as the laptop heated up, the fans would get louder and louder, so we'd have to shut down the laptop for half an hour to then record the next two or three minutes. It was amazing. It was it was fantastic. We've come a long way. I'm really enjoying having the microphone. I'm sure a lot of listeners are too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. Well, uh, this week we're about to head away to a batch to help me continue celebrating my birthday. Oh, we're not celebrating episode 200? No, we're not celebrating episode 200. We should. Well... I think that would be a great idea. Okay, we'll take up an extra bottle of bubbles just for that. Yeah, well, it's Craig's birthday, his 30th birthday, and two of our other good friends are celebrating their 30th birthdays as well. So we thought we'd all go away to a batch, which is what we New Zealanders call a holiday home or a vacation house. And uh, yeah, we're going to hang out for the weekend, probably drink a bit, probably eat quite a lot... You know, all sorts of cool things. <laughs> yeah, it'll be uh, pretty weather dependent, I think, to see what we get up to. I'm hoping we don't get locked inside in the rain all weekend. Well, I mean, the reason we're mostly in New Zealand at the moment is to is this weekend to celebrate your birthday. Yeah. So we've got to make the most of it. <laughs> Whether it's raining or shiny, it doesn't matter. We've got yeah. to have fun. Or else. Uh-oh. <laughs> Well, I guess that all travellers want to take great photos to inspire their friends and their family um, and make them all jealous as they're sitting at home at work. Yeah, we definitely do. I mean, we've always enjoyed sending photos back throughout our travels and, yeah, we've got lots of kind of nasty emails from people saying, be quiet, stop sending me those photos, it looks too nice. (laughs) And these days it's so much easier because with digital photography you can just send it back through Facebook or by email. I remember when uh, I went to Kenya, we had, um, none of us had digital cameras. This was 10 years ago. And so we all took our analog cameras. And then after the trip, we all got together with our prints and like showed each other the prints and decided which ones to get printed for each other. It was a long, involved process. And I don't think I ended up with any of the photos I wanted. (laughs) So Typical confusion. Yeah. So I'm really happy about digital photography. And it means that you can take lots and lots of photos and, you know, just find the the ones that are good. Mm Mm-hmm. It does mean that people are taking lots and lots of photos, and a lot of them are not good. (laughs) Yeah, And that is the problem we're facing right now. It is indeed. Uh, Today we're going to be speaking with Ralph Velasco, who's a professional photographer, and uh, he's also a a photo trainer, I guess. He does tours around the world, workshops, training sessions to help people take better photos. So we're speaking with him today and uh, hoping that our photography gets a bit better as a result. Yeah, it will be good for us and all of our friends who have to look at our photos. (laughs) So yeah, if you're interested, you should keep listening and uh, learn how to take better photos yourself. Remember, you can help the Indie Travel Podcast keep traveling by booking through us. Visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash flights slash hostels and slash insurance when you're booking your travel online. 
We've also got travel deals updating daily at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash deals and a growing list of day tours at slash tours. Very exciting. You can also visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Amazon when you're shopping online or get a free audiobook with a two-week trial of Audible through IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Audible or slash audiobook. And our own books are at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash books. You can buy The Art of Solo Travel and Travelling Europe as PDFs as a Kindle ebook. Very exciting. And get a copy of How to Live Like Us. Uh, you know, it's us talking about our travels and how you can do it too. And it's free at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash books. Well, without further ado, uh, let me introduce Ralph. Today I'm happy to welcome onto the show Ralph Velasco from RalphVelasco.com. Uh, he's the author of a book called Ralph Velasco on Travel Photography, 101 Tips for Developing Your Photographic Eye and More, and also a, uh, an iPhone and an iPod app called Shotlist for Travel, which uh, help us to explore different f- photographs to take um, while you're out traveling and, and looking around the place. So Ralph, welcome onto the Indie Travel Podcast. Thanks, Craig. Great to be here. Yeah, we've been chasing this interview for a while. I've chased you from uh, from the states over to India and uh, and back again. <laughs> while we've had internet problems <laughs> and I've had computer problems, so glad to finally have you on the show. Yeah, this is wonderful. Thanks for uh, for being persistent. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. Well, to begin with, can you um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and give us an idea of uh, of who you are and where you're coming from? Sure. Uh, I'm originally from Chicago, but I live in Southern California, Newport Beach, and I'm a photography instructor, an international tour guide, and as you mentioned, an author and app creator. And I've got a company called Photo Enrichment Programs that is sort of the umbrella company over all my photography endeavors. And certainly RalphVelasco.com, where I have my new blog, uh, that's that's part of that umbrella. But uh, my main thing is to help people to take better pictures of their travels. It's really as simple as that. Everything I do revolves around um, just helping people to get from one level to another when it comes to their mainly travel photography. Smooth. And you've been uh, traveling yourself, just returned from uh, from India in the last couple of days and uh, still a bit jet lagged. Um, tell us, what did you uh, what did you get up to in India? Right. I was over in India for about 11 days and we hit the, the sort of typical tourist trail, in the Golden Triangle. So Delhi, Agra, where the Taj Mahal is, and Jaipur and then back up to Delhi. And it's a fascinating region of the, a very large country with over a billion people, largest democracy in the world, uh, lots of English speakers. So uh, our tour guide, one of the first things he told us was that you don't vacation in India, you experience it. And I thought that that was a pretty good way to put it because at times, it can be a, a little trying uh, getting from one place to another or just dealing with the cultural differences, the traffic, <laughs> uh, but it was a wonderful experience. I mean, uh, a place that I'd always had on my radar to go since I was a little kid, and I did a report on India, probably third or fourth grade, 
And so finally had an opportunity to get over there. It was wonderful, wonderful for photography. Wow. So you um, you found it quite, quite shocking even uh, on a tour. Yeah, we were. I was part of a, a fam or familiarization tour, and I work with a company called Globus that uh, handles the logistics of a lot of the tours that I lead. And so they brought a group of tour leaders or uh, group leaders over for us to get a feel for India so that we can then bring groups back at a later time. And so they had everything lined up for us. And uh, even on a tour, which I don't do a lot of group tours, mine, mine are mainly just kind of us alone together or traveled on my own. But even on a group tour, it, it, it is rather shocking. And uh, what you see is uh, very different. But if it wasn't, why would we travel, right? If it was the same <laughs> as it was at home, why go? <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we've uh, got you on the show today to to help us improve our travel photography and uh, hopefully our our audience as well. Um, now, recently we spoke about um, some some really basic tips and things that we've learned over five years of bad photos on the road. Um, some ideas about composition <laughs> and using the rule of thirds. We've talked about uh, keeping your equipment clean. Um, all that kind of stuff looked a little bit at, at cropping after you've taken your photos. Um, but we want to, I guess, approach things a bit differently today and find out some of the things that, uh, that you'd be telling your students and, um, and, and be working on people if, uh, if they were touring with you. So um, how, do, how do we get started? What's the number one tip to take better travel photos? Well, my number one tip with my students and the participants of my tours uh, is what I call the three to five second rule. And by that, I tell people to spend an extra three to five seconds looking through the viewfinder or on the LCD screen on the back of their camera and just micro composing the scene so that you don't have a rogue tree branch sticking in or maybe your shadows in the shot or someone in the background that you don't particularly want. So it does two things. It, number one, it slows you down. So you take less pictures. With, with digital photography, it's easy to just snap away. It doesn't cost anymore. It's just digital files. So it's easy to just uh, sort of pray and spray. So with the three to five second rule, it slows you down. So you take less pictures, but you get more keepers because you are taking an extra care to be sure that the scene is composed correctly and that these other elements that you don't want in the scene are there. Mm. So that's my main rule. Yeah. And I guess that runs contrary to a, a lot of advice I've heard. A lot of people say, take take more photos because, hey, it's it's not going to cost anything, so just fire away and, and sort out the good ones later. But I guess uh, that's fine if you're maybe doing studio photography or something, eh? But if you're traveling, you don't want to spend, uh, spend hours at the end of every day sorting through files. 
That's right. Uh, you're you're going to come back with a lot less images, but you'll get more images that I call keepers that that are actually worth something instead of just putting the camera on continuous and firing away, hoping that you get something. Uh, the, you know, you'll you'll spend a lot less time on your computer later trying to sort through all the images. Your hard drives will thank you because you're going to have a lot less images on them. It, uh, I, I think it's just a lot easier on you and, and everything else if you, if you do it this way. Yeah, sure thing, sure thing. Well, what, um, apart from taking more time to, to compose the shot and, and look at what's happening, what's, what's the next step? Well, uh, even before that, I like to tell people to really research a destination so you have a very good idea of what there is to shoot when you get there and pre-visualize the scene, the types of shots that you're looking for. And there's a lot of different ways to do that nowadays, especially with the Internet. But uh, one way to do that is to go to the big stock photo agency websites like Corbis or Getty Images or even Flickr, put in the keywords of whatever the place is that you're going to. Let's say uh, it's Havana, night scenes, people. And you'll see all the images that the professionals that have been to those places and use those keywords have shot. And so that'll give you a real good idea of what there is to shoot when you're there. Uh, a lot of times we go to a place and we're only there for a very brief period of time for whatever reason. And it's difficult to sort of you do your research when you get there because in my case, I really have to hit the ground running and I don't have a lot of time on site to figure it out. Uh, there's something to be said for being spontaneous, but do your research, know what there is to shoot before you get there, pre-visualize what it is what you're, that you're looking for, and you'll be much more aware of it when you see it. Mm. Do you have any examples of that from your recent India trip? So when you were in India, what were you what were you kind of looking for and, and what did you have in your head before you went? Yeah, great question. Uh, I had I know a lot of people that have been to India. I did the research as I suggested. And certainly in that part of India, especially Rajasthan, it's known for these the the women dressed in these very bright colors and these saris that are really bright oranges and yellows and, and blues. And so I, I knew to be on the lookout for, for those uh, types of subjects. And then thinking about the background, which is another tip, is always being aware of your backgrounds. So I've, you know, I, I would find this uh, very vibrantly dressed woman and I'd wait for her to be up against a a very interesting background or I'd actually sit with an interesting background in front of me and wait like a a spider in his web waiting for uh, some prey to come into it for someone to walk into the scene and use that background as uh, as a background for this beautiful subject. So the colors, it's something very 
very specific to that area. Of course, there's colors in other parts of the world, but Rajasthan is known for these bright colors. So I was very aware of, of, of being on the lookout for that. Uh, so, Ralph, um, when you've been looking at all of these photos, uh, maybe on Flickr or Getty's images to get an idea of what's around, do you then kind of make a list of what you're going to shoot beforehand? Yeah, that's another great question. Uh, what I do is I teach a class called Capturing the Essence of a Place. And it's based on the concept of developing a shot list, which is a very basic concept in photography. So the idea is to have a list of shots that you want to get before you even go to a place. And so that come, goes along with pre-visualization. And so we tend to have an interest in particular types of photography. Maybe it's landscapes or people or architecture. So when we come back, so when we come back from a destination, we tend to have a majority of pictures in those categories. But if we want to really tell the overall story of a place, create an overall cultural portrait of a place for our viewers back home, whether it's when we put together a slideshow or make a book or a website, the idea is to work from that shot list, which is made up of many categories. And uh, I've got a new app out called My Shot List for Travel. And the idea is that it's uh, an organizational and tracking tool. So it keeps you thinking about all these other types of shots that you should be getting that complement the bigger categories like landscapes and people. But what about the pictures that show everyday life or details or night scenes or the food or transportation? You're in Venice. You want to take pictures of the gondolas. That's something very specific and distinct to that place. So if your interest is in coming back with a well-rounded portfolio of images that truly captures the essence of a place, then my suggestion is to work from a shot list. Cool. So that's something that a lot of people just don't really think about. Um, I certainly tend to go, hey, that looks cool, and, and snap away, but I don't go out hunting for the images that are, that are going to be interesting. Yeah, it's really a reminder and it provides inspiration. You In the app, there's uh, I've come up with 52 categories. Then you can create your own shot list from those categories for whatever place you're going to. Let's say it's Berlin. Uh, maybe out of those 52 categories, you'll only need 25 because you're probably not going to find a whole lot of wildlife in Berlin which is another category. So those 25 categories, now you go out and you shoot. And then every once in a while, I'll pull my iPhone out of my pocket and I'll say, oh, geez, you know, I didn't think about getting interior shots or I need to go out tonight and get some night scenes because those are other uh, categories that will help me to present Berlin in an overall view for my uh, you know, the people that are looking at my images later, it, it tells the complete story. Mm. So just to, to detour into to shooting people at the moment, obviously uh, taking photographs of people, not committing <laughs> violence upon them. Um, do you normally go and uh, ask people for permission to photograph them beforehand? Or do you just take photos of scenes focusing in on someone? 
Because I know a lot of travel photographers, especially amateurs, we see these um, these beautiful costumed people or just interesting faces around us, but it feels a bit weird taking photos of someone that you know later you're going to put on a website or uh, or share with people through through Facebook or Flickr. Well, I you know there's a big big controversy about that and I just put up a blog post on my blog the other day about candid versus posed. And so I always am looking for the candid shots first. So I don't necessarily want my subject looking at me smiling doing what really isn't natural to them at that point in time. So I'm looking to sort of be a fly on the wall to try to capture them sometimes from far away. So maybe I'll use a zoom lens to get in on them, but I'm looking for those candid shots first because it's difficult to get the post shots. So walking up to someone, would it be okay if I took your picture or if you don't speak the language, just kind of holding up your camera with a questioning look on your face and a smile? Uh, nine times out of ten, they'll be more than happy to let you take a couple quick shots. But it's very difficult to go the other way, to take the post shots and then get candid shots after that of the same subject. Mm, uh, the, sure. the, the situation is different. Now, uh, when I do take pictures of, of people. I, tr I will often try to get them sometimes from behind. So I like to show a picture of the back of a person's head and show the scene that they're enjoying or that they're a part of or looking at. So from their perspective, other times and uh, early in my career, this was very difficult to do was to actually go up to someone and and ask them if I could take their picture. It's, that's, it's one of the hardest things to do in photography. But the more you do it, just like anything else, the easier it becomes. You develop a relationship with people. You show them the picture afterwards. Uh, maybe you even send it to them later. But uh, that, that's an area, especially in a place like, like Rajasthan or in Cuba or where there's interesting people dressed in colorful clothes against amazing backgrounds, uh, those can really make for some wonderful portrait photography as well. Mm. So to sum that up, I guess you might say you, you shoot first and ask questions later. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. Uh, well, I'm always looking for the candid shot. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to, to be sneaky or you know, to get away with something, but it's very difficult to get a candid shot after someone knows that you've got a camera in your hand and that you're interested in them. Yeah, sure. Or you have to, to spend a, a lot of time with them until they begin to, to relax again and forget you're there, huh? Exactly right, yes. And, and oftentimes I don't have that kind of time, unfortunately. Mm. It's, yeah. a, it's a real controversy. It's a dichotomy. It's it's difficult question. <laughs> Yeah, I guess in some, like, I was amazed when I went to the States and was taking photos around New York to find out that some buildings had kind of model releases on them and you couldn't take photos of of this building or you couldn't publish photos of of this building or that building um, because the, the architect had, had somehow made it uh, 
so you needed a, an architecture model release for the building. It was just just insane. Yeah, that's that's something I'll never understand. And I mean, it's in the you know you're out in public, the building's out in public. I mean, how could I not take a picture of it? So it, that that's a difficult con, uh, difficult subject for sure. Yeah, I think especially as. Um, you know, a, a lot of us now are taking photos and putting them on, on travel blogs with a, an open audience or even putting them on sites like Facebook or Flickr um, to to share with people. Um, it's not really a, a traditionally professional use where you're charging someone 500 bucks to, to use the image uh, in a magazine or something like that. So it's weird around the, the ethics and rules of travel photography need a... Need an upgrade just like every other area, I guess. I would agree. Oh, uh, well, let's get back into uh, the actual art of, of taking photos. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. Are there any... Uh, I mean, I guess we've got people shooting with, uh, with pointing clicks and, and some people with SLRs. But are there any uh, technical advice you can, uh, you can leave us with? Well, um, I say if your camera has the capability of shooting in raw format, I highly recommend doing that. And a lot of point-and-shoot cameras have that capability. Most SLR cameras have that capability. And for those who aren't familiar with it, raw is a file format. It's a lossless file format versus JPEG which is a compressed file format. And there's pros and cons on both sides. But in a nutshell, when you take a, a picture in a raw file format, all the information is there in the file. So that file might be two to three times bigger than the same JPEG image of the same scene. But that's because the camera compresses and sort of does some pre-processing on that image that's baked into the file. Where with a raw image, you've got all the data there, but you do need a raw converter, which is a program that can work with raw files, although most programs will. And uh, it's going to be a much bigger file, so it's going to take up more hard drive space. But it's more forgiving because all that information is there. You've got more to work with later. So all professionals shoot in RAW. And I recommend that even beginners and intermediates at least start to dip their toes into that pool. Sure. I guess for someone who's going to take a photo and do no or next to no post-production on it, maybe a little bit of cropping, um, it might seem like overkill, but if you're only going to be in a place once and later on you, you do get into photography and you learn the skills of post-production, you'd, uh, you'd kick yourself if you didn't have the opportunity to, to go back just for the sake of a few gigs. You're absolutely right. Yep. And, that, and because it's baking some uh, sharpening and color correction and all these other things into the JPEG file... Those are things you'll never get back. You'll never be able to do a whole lot with those. Where with RAW, I can change the white balance later. I can uh, change exposure. I can do a lot of different things with that file. Uh, but it is a little bit more difficult to work with. Uh, it's not immediately available to email and use on a website. But 
most programs are able to then take that file and convert it to a JPEG, which then is easily used. Sure. So we're talking about programs like uh, maybe Aperture or Lightroom or, or Photoshop that are able to take these and, and then convert right. them down? Yeah, and even Photoshop Elements, which is a very inexpensive program, has that capability. The ones that don't are generally the free ones online like uh, Picnic and Picasa. I don't think they have that capability. So Yeah, sure. I'm pretty sure the companies hosting those files don't want the massive, uh, massive raw files sitting on their servers. Well, <laughs> Ralph, it's been great speaking with you today. And uh, thanks for coming on the show and advancing our photography skills a little bit more. Um, I know people can find you at ralphvelasco.com and that's got links out to, uh, to all of the other sectors of, of what you're doing. And um, would you be uh, willing to send us through some example photos that we can put on, uh, put on our website at Indie Travel Podcast? Oh, absolutely. I'd love to do that. Great. Well, um, those, those photos, guys, will be available uh, in the show notes at IndieTravelPodcast.com, and we'll link out to, uh, to Ralph's website there, of course. Well, thanks a lot, Ralph, for coming on to the Indie Travel Podcast. We really appreciate it, and uh, hope you had a blast being with us. You can find Ralph, his books, and the uh, iPhone app we spoke about at ralphvelasco.com. There'll be links in the show notes at uh, Indie Travel Podcast, of course. Well, uh, moving on to community wisdom, to tell you the truth, we have pre-recorded this. It's not actually Monday. What day of the week is it? It's Tuesday. Tuesday last week. So we have no idea what's going on on the site with community wisdom. But why don't you drop by and see for yourself and maybe add something. That's indietravelpodcast.com slash community and also slash forums. You can also visit indietravelpodcast.com slash flights slash hostels and slash insurance when you're booking your travel online. And the commissions we get from that help us stay traveling and keep the site up and running. Yeah, and don't forget the travel deals at indietravelpodcast.com slash deals. Also visit indietravelpodcast.com slash Amazon when you're shopping online or get free audiobooks from indietravelpodcast.com slash audible or slash audiobooks and you should also visit our library of books at indietravelpodcast.com slash books they're books especially for solo travelers for couples for people going to europe books to help you travel more travel well and there's more on the way books 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 and for some non-monetary ways of helping us out tell your friends about indie travel podcast invite them to our facebook page at facebook.com slash indie travel or leave a five-star review for us on itunes Wow, you read all of that yourself. It's crazy. Yeah, help me out because I'm 30 now, getting old. You're not even sitting up, you're lying down. You're that lazy. I'm you old. can't even sit up to old. record the podcast. I am at least sitting up. I didn't want to give you too much work, darling. <laughs> well, I appreciate it very much. I'm sure you do. On that note, we are going to leave. So I hope you have an excellent week. And until next week, travel well. <laughs>